0: You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast coming to you. Uh, should be up late on a Wednesday night after the Arizona Cardinals have had their first game of the season against the Tennessee Titans. Be reviewing that today as far as the first impressions go. It was a good one. Uh, this is Blake Murphy, your host of the ROTB pod on Twitter at Blake Murphy 7. Uh, apologies for a little bit later show this week. As many of you know, or if you don't by now, my co-host has moved on to uh, the P-N-A-P-E, I think it's Phoenix P H N X. This is why I didn't get a spelling degree. Obviously, uh, is uh, and so we're moving to a new format. I have also been uh, hampered with allergies the past couple of days, uh, which is. And then you could also hear, probably in my voice, there's been a bit more of a nasal tone uh, due to the fact that I've been having some allergies. Uh, Made sure I got tested, not COVID positive, fortunately, so just been a bad case of the allergies as far as why I haven't um, utilized my voice as much over the past few days. But we're good with that now, and we're good to also talk about a Cardinals victory coming off of a 38-13 walloping of the Tennessee Titans. As far as expectations going in, uh, you always take a look at what are kind of the predictions, what are the things that were right. What were the things that were wrong? I think it was pretty much went without saying that the Arizona offense was good. They put up points. They did what they were supposed to. Kyler Murray took a step forward. We saw an efficient rushing and receiving game. We also saw this was a bad Tennessee defense. They had one sack of Kyler Murray all day. Their past defense looked like they struggled to be able to keep up with Christian Kirk. It looked like that they had good coverage on DeAndre Hopkins. He still was able to get his, starting with a wide-open pass to begin the game from Arizona. And we saw on the other side, however, a bit of a difference. There were questions about the Arizona defense, specifically with their cornerbacks. Were the likes of Byron Murphy and Marco Wilson going to be able to step up? Could Robert Alford get back to form? Well, I think at least the two of the questions that we thought of, were pretty much stand forward. Robert Alford stayed healthy, got through the game, and Byron Murphy looked like a franchise corner out there. The question was going to be Marco Wilson and how would their non-linebackers do against what seemed to be a pretty potent Tennessee offense. I have to say, the thing that I did not expect, and I would have to say most people did not expect, was just how bad Tennessee's offense looked. Now, uh, granted, I believe this was Arizona sports. John Gambodoro talked about how the Tennessee Titans have not had a lot of time to gel offensively this offseason. They have had Robert, I uh, should say at least, um, I should say, excuse me, Ryan Fanahill has been out through the COVID protocols. Julio Jones has had time being injured and there was a double knee surgery for A.J. Brown now. What I think a lot of people expected was it to be the Derrick Henry show. And we saw the Cardinals treat things in a little bit differently than maybe some would have expected with their new rookie first-round pick, Zayvon Collins. Collins was uh, a man who essentially played part of the time for the most part. That was one of the focal points. Isaiah Simmons was the guy who was more physical. But ultimately, neither of those guys ended up being the main storyline for the game. The main storyline for the game was Chandler Jones. Getting five sacks, including three in the first quarter, off of the Tennessee offense that, to be perfectly honest from the way it looks, and I'm sure a lot of people will probably break this down over the next few days, looked absolutely like they had no idea what they were doing. Arizona's defense looked prepared. They weren't biting on many of those play-action fakes that were happening early in the game. It looked as though they were prepared for what the Tennessee would throw at them, especially with times you would have Derrick Henry look like he was about to move forward and would be either met in the hole, or would be tackled for a loss in the backfield, putting Tennessee into these difficult third and long situations where Ryan Tannehill checked the ball down a lot in the middle of the field. And a lot of that is because Chandler Jones in the first quarter just wreaked havoc on Taylor And I think that's one of the things that goes without saying is there are questions about Jones coming into this season. Would he be able to get back to form? Would J.J. Watt be able to make an impact I think through most of the preseason, we were able to see, at least from camp and other places, it did not look like he had lost a step. In fact, it looked like last year, something was maybe a bit off to start as he played a multiple backup tackles to start 2020 and ended up essentially having a bicep tear left the season. Perhaps he did originally tear some of that bicep and then it tore worse and they decided to get surgery then perhaps, you know, perhaps he just came into camp and, with the pandemic and everything, wasn't quite in shape for the most part. Either way, Chandler Jones has come in like a madman. He leads the NFL currently in sacks and is on pace to break. Uh, he's obviously not going to be on pace for, you know, five sacks a game. That is, uh would be probably an in- unbelievable stat. But he's very much on pace to potentially have a shot at Michael Strahan's 22-sack record. That would be an incredible accomplishment for Jones to be able to get, not just in a contract year, but as far as his tenure with the Arizona Cardinals altogether. And I think that the impact of seeing how when the Cardinals pass rush has had player like Chandler Jones, who's healthy, who's effective, we've seen that team can, teams can know how to deal with that. You look back at the 2018 season when Jones is lining up as a defensive end. Marcus Golden had an ACL tear that year, if I remember correctly. And the Cardinals did not have an effective pass rusher opposite him. He still got 20 I believe it was 10 to 12 sacks. But he was playing a bit more in that New England 4-3 position as a defensive end, not necessarily being able to use that speed off the edge to get around the pass rusher or even being able to cut back to the inside lane. Uh, That's kind of what when pass rushers, when you're talking about how it works, there's a lot of techniques you can have. One of the reasons why Jones is so freaky is because he's got incredible bursts to be able to get upfield where if you don't have the footwork that can keep up, He's going to be able to use his upper body strength and long arms to just lean past you and be able to go toward the quarterback. Those long arms can also wrap around the quarterback, form tackling, and be able to force the football out of their hands. If you're a quarterback and Chandler Jones is coming on to you, it's really going to be difficult because as soon as he knows, he has that sense of mind, that timing, that explosiveness to get there before the quarterback and realize he's on. And then he essentially wraps up the quarterback, is able to knock the ball free with those long arms and be able to force these fumbles. He forced two of these fumbles against the Tennessee Titans, both of them making huge impacts, one nearly being taken back for six off of uh, a naked boot call that was, the best way I could at least put it was it was a straight dumb call. The the Titans, and this is not to diminish Chandler Jones at all, but the Titans were in a position where when you're going to be having a naked boot type of call where the quarterback is essentially unprotected, in that type of a lineup, you have to be able to have a player that you think you can fool with that run-play action. Because a lot of the responsibilities of a 3-4 defense, especially Vince Joseph's 3-4 defense, is it's going to have one of these players, whether it's Isaiah Simmons, Marcus Golden, or Chandler Jones, is going to have their eyes on the quarterback. And that means that you're going to be hunting down. So if you're a guy who is, say, your responsibility is Marcus Golden... Your responsibility, at least, is to be able to watch the run. And if they run to the right, all right, Chandler's the one who's been watching the run. You've got Isaiah Simmons as a linebacker behind you if you're Marcus Golden, where you don't have to worry about some of these passing lanes. Or if you go after the quarterback and turns out, uh, the best example I can think of this is uh, a few years ago, the Cardinals were playing in 2000, and I believe it was, I want to say 2017. Uh, they were playing the Dak Prescott-led Cowboys on Monday Night Football. And there was a play in which Hassan Reddick, essentially, they read like it was a run, and Dak Prescott instead kept the ball. Now, Marcus Golden went and tackled the running back. Hassan Reddick also read that it was a run and was baited into that. Dak Prescott scampers forward into the end zone on a three-yard carry. Golden went and tackled the running back. That wasn't saying that he made the error or the mistake that he should have gone for the quarterback. His responsibility is... I don't care if that quarterback keeps it or tucks it. You go after that running back. That is the defensive play call because just asking a player to react and respond, you may be already in the end zone by the time you're able to read that uh, play action fake. So someone has to be in charge of making sure they keep their eyes on the running back. Someone has to keep their eyes on the quarterback. So for Tennessee to be able to do one of these avenues and leaving Chandler Jones unblocked, either this is an avenue of They were very optimistic of thinking that they could run their bread and butter for the most part, and Arizona would be fooled. Or this is just an avenue of seeing how the Titans are going to be probably taking a large step back this year with their former offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith, heading to become the head coach of the Falcons. And I like to think it's the latter, because their new O.C., Todd Downing, looked like he was not able to run a lot of their bread and butter. Now, some of it, granted, was solid plays from Isaiah Simmons and getting tackles for loss. But in a lot of ways, what the Titans offense functioned around was being able to use that heavy play action under center to be able to set up some of these easier throws for Ryan Tannehill. And the Cardinals were not fooled by some of those cases. So when you talk about the end of the game, you would think that the Titans would have essentially kept working with Derrick Henry, kept moving to try to ground out a game. We even saw on one drive, the Titans drove down to be able to get a touchdown. We saw Derrick Henry be the guy who essentially broke free on a long run up the middle. And finally was brought down by the Cardinals. And that was the avenue that I felt like that the Cardinals never lost control of the game defensively. It felt like they knew not just what was coming, but it felt like a lot of the strength of what the Titans needed to use with those pitches and those hits. It just seemed like they were a step behind. Whether that was not good play design, whether it was just not being on the same page. When we got to see at least how the Arizona Cardinals, essentially with one man in Chandler Jones, put a wrecking ball through Taylor Luan. and not even just Taylor Luan. It was through their backup left tackle, too. And this is what gets to me as far as why the Titans struggled. The Titans struggled because when Chandler Jones went out and they had Taylor Luan against him as far as in a one-versus-one type of setting, they really would line up. You know, I think Isaiah Simmons spent some time covering the tight end. He spent some time also blitzing off the edge. They gave no help to Taylor Luan whatsoever. As the game went on, I was expecting that they would put a tight end, you know, put two people. Even put, you know, if you're going to have a setup play, hey, let's get a fullback and a running back in the backfield. If we're afraid that Arizona's going to get pressure with four, we can send one to block J.J. Watt. We can send one to push out in Chandler Jones. And we'll just try to scheme where we can then, all right, we're going to run away from Chandler Jones. We can maybe boot to the opposite side, put a max protector, just get some easy completions for Ryan Tannehill. They didn't do any of that with Taylor Lewan. And that's where I think a lot of this, as far as the Cardinals go, they didn't even do it for their backup left tackle. Chandler Jones got his fifth sack because he just simply beat their left tackle off the line as Ryan Tannehill dropped back. They had him drop back 35 times. They only gave Derrick Henry 17 carries. They didn't even try to check in the screen game as far as inviting the pass rushers in and then a check down screen. Arizona essentially outcoached on the defensive side, the Tennessee Titans. And that also goes to say that the Titans undercoached as well. And I want to make that clear. The Titans undercoach. Now, people have talked about the Titans as being a Super Bowl potential threat. And the talent I think is there for them on offense to make a run, but it's not on defense. And I don't even know if the offensive line is going to be as great. Taylor Luan is recovering from an injury from last season. And while it goes to say it seems like it might be making excuses for the Car- for the uh, Cardinals as far as why they did so well I think it's two things to look at. One is that context is important. And the second, it's that the Cardinals did what they were supposed to do. You cannot play teams that are not on your schedule. You can only play the team in front of you. And that goes for a team like you know, the Miami uh, Dolphins playing the New England Patriots in their first game starting a rookie quarterback. You can say that the Dolphins should have lost that game, but they won in part because the rookie quarterback was not able to make enough plays. Guess what? You're not playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers if you're Miami. You can't you can't basically just say, oh, well, this is terrible. It'll be better against better teams. You can look at it in the NFL as goes on a game-by-game schedule. You can look at it negatively as the Cardinals, but I think Cardinals fans, as far as when it comes to expectations for this team, should see this as a positive. Cliff Kingsbury now ends up being uh, uh, completely uh, loss-free. I guess you could say he's been undefeated two wins and a tie in his opening games. He's done at least a good job of either scheming or adjusting for the opponents that they'll face defensively. And that's something I think that gets into the next part I wanted to talk about, which is the offense. The offense performed at a level that we haven't seen with Kyler Murray throwing for four touchdowns for the first time and rushing for one. And I think the question as far as this is how much of this is a bad Titans defense and how much of this is true progress from from Arizona Cardinals franchise quarterback. I say that because I do believe he is their franchise quarterback, Kyler Murray. We've seen that the Cardinals in this regard were much more of a passing team. Now, we've seen times in the past where it seemed like the game scripted to be a passing team. I think of the Eagles game last season where they hardly ran the ball, but these were more of the air raid type of offenses we had expected to see. We expect the Cardinals to be able to have an efficient running attack while Kyler was dealing it to the likes of Hopkins, to Kirk, and now even to Rondale Moore. The biggest change I think the Cardinals fans should be excited about is Rodney Hudson. It's not AJ Green, it's not even Rondale Moore. But what we saw with the Cardinals team was that the biggest issue that they had was in protection for Kyler off of the edge. And they still were able to buy him a lot of time. But when you talk about edge pressure for quarterbacks, that can rack up sacks. It can rack up plays. It can be disruptive is what it does. But it does not mean that it kills a play straight dead. What does mean as far as being disruptive is interior disruption. And what we saw was that Jeffrey Simmons... We also saw with uh, even with Justin Pugh, I believe only gave up one pressure, which is a solid start to see from him since he had missed some preseason time. Rodney Hudson being out there with the veteran leader that he was being able to help Kyler Murray and be able to give him a pocket step to step up into maybe the difference between the Cardinals being a playoff team or not. Now, I picked the Cardinals before the season. I said could see them be having an eight, and nine or a ten and eight type of uh, ten and nine, I should say. Excuse me. Uh. actually does not compute. It's a 17-game season. 10-7 type of season. The NFC is tough this year. The NFC West especially. All four of these NFC West teams won this past week. And they won by a lot. The closest game was the 49ers playing (laughs) the Detroit Lions haplessly. Hapless Lions, at least, that seemed to have a bit more fight in them. I think that we can talk more about that in preview and going around the league as far as Friday's show goes. But I want to focus on Arizona because... A lot of people, the question of the expectation for this team is, is this team one that can make a postseason berth and even maybe make a postseason run? And that starts with beating good teams. Now, obviously, one case that I've always argued with good teams is good teams aren't necessarily what we think good teams are going into the season. I'd like to point out the 2000 and I believe it was 2013 Houston Texans was considered to be a juggernaut. They have J.J. Watt on their team, Wrecking Havoc, as well as some star linebackers. They have uh, Matt Schaub throwing the ball around to Andre Johnson. I believe that they were uh, putting up Pro Bowl numbers at one point. Entering the 2013 Houston Texans with those same talents, they just looked awful. They were a terrible team. They ended up with the number one pick in the 2014 draft, selected Jadavion Clowney with that pick. But when they came to University of Phoenix Stadium, it went from looking like a... Tough and difficult game, too, looking like it was a pretty easy walkthrough game. The Texans, I believe, weren't even starting Matt Schaub that year. I'd have to double-check my notes. But it goes to show that opinions change for the team based on how it goes in their season. As we know, the Cardinals are a team that you can judge a lot based on their first four games. We've seen this in the past, too. You talk about the Steve Wilkes era going 0-4 to begin. You see the Cliff Kingsbury era finally getting a win, I believe, against the Cincinnati Bengals. You can see kind of the narrative of the team is for how strong they come out. And the Titans, they look like they were pretty hapless. Now, could they turn it around and become maybe a playoff contender? Absolutely, they could. But with how much Ryan Tannehill was sacked, with the struggles on the offensive line, and especially, I think, with the coordinator that they have now, struggling to adjust of even putting the simple aspect of we're going to block Chandler Jones with the tight end we don't care if these other players get to us we just want to make sure that Ryan feels like he's not going to get blindsided by Chandler Jones they couldn't even do that simple thing I think that's where the narrative of what the Arizona Cardinals looks like will shift some we got to see Isaiah Simmons be more physical that will probably shift a lot of national perspective a lot of people may come and say hey like what's the deal with you and Isaiah Simmons you've been doubting and I don't think it was even that. I think that the question, at least, has been as far as with the Cardinals, has been the idea of team building. So they brought in Isaiah Simmons, brought in DeAndre Hopkins, and we see in 2019 Hopkins getting 1,400 yards. We also see the Cardinals not playing Simmons at all. I think that the reason why I argued for the likes of "Hey, take CD Lamb over Isaiah Simmons" is not because it's going to, not because it's going to be built around this aspect of. Well, this player over this player, you you want to have all these different types of players work out. But from a team building approach, Arizona went on to add two additional pieces in Rondale Moore and AJ Green to their offense. Because they didn't have that second receiving threat as we saw, or even maybe a third receiving threat who was able to take some pressure off when Christian Kirk ran into some struggles late in 2020. I think that with Isaiah Simmons showing that level of physicality and the usefulness of being able to move around. I think it's one of the options where Arizona should look positively because they're finally, I think, in some cases, having a proper plan for development. Simmons was supposed to be out there week one and was coming out of camp going to be getting a lot of attention. Well, he ended up coming out and getting burned two or three times, and maybe there was a confidence hit. Maybe it was an avenue where all of a sudden Arizona needed to you know, take a step back and say, all right, what, what is this guy's strength? Maybe we need to not necessarily put him as our straight outside linebacker uh maybe we can't just put him out there as an edge rusher maybe we have to have time so he can learn these positions and then be able to see it as more of a 2022 emergence and so far simmons has been as advertised what people thought he was going to be in 2020 he led the team in tackles for loss he ended up having uh i believe he led the team in tackles Uh, he didn't actually have a tackle for loss but he had two tough tackles on derrick henry one of those right on the goal line, preventing him from getting in, where it's like, Henry, you normally, you see him bounce off some of the guys. Well, Simmons, being built like, uh, you know, Captain Freaking America, this sort of super soldier, just stops him dead in his tracks. Hold him. Now, Titans still scored on that drive, but it really ended up showcasing a lot more of this physical avenue that we haven't quite seen yet of Isaiah Simmons, that many projected he could have in the NFL. And that's kind of the case that comes to with projections. Some players are easy projections, and it just takes some time, and some have an instant impact right as soon as they get onto the field. And that's what I think we're seeing so far from Arizona's rookie class. We're seeing both a plan for the Cardinals and we're seeing essentially proper usage for the rookies. This is something that I think we have not seen since uh, the likes of Buda Baker in 2017, where Buda Baker was a player that a lot of people were hoping to pair with Tyron Matthew long term. Well, get two guys with similar skill sets. You can kind of pair those two up, see how it goes. But see how later in the year Buda Baker went from this special teams pro bowler to essentially playing that Tyron Matthew role. We saw Matthew not having to be someone who could, you know, have to be back there in coverage. He seemed like, I think, in 2017 coming off of injury, playing all the snaps. They ended up putting Buda Baker out there and having him be more of the cover guy, and Matthew was allowed to be kind of this knife-in-the-box And that was one of the avenues of where we saw proper rookie development. We didn't see it with the likes of Kimdichie. We saw how the Cardinals put Brandon Williams out there on an island, didn't have any other veteran corners that were able to be played. We've seen how in the past they even took their young linebackers, at least for the most part, and had issues with developing Hassan Reddick being the foremost of these. What did we get on Sunday instead from this Cardinals coaching staff? We got to see Zayven Collins be in... And as far as the run defense goes, finishing with the highest PFF grade for a rookie linebacker and was out on the nickel down. So if Isaiah Simmons is plugged into the defense, is fine in coverage, and Zayvon Collins is your kind of run stuffer, and he's not quite there as far as dropping back into zone coverage of the reads, guess what? Jordan Hicks is there. You actually have a veteran that he can learn from while still making an impact. And I think that impact was clearly seen in the run game against Derrick Henry and even on some pass rushes where Ryan Tannehill had to step up to run away from uh, the likes of Zayvon Collins, who was hunting after the quarterback. I believe one of those turned into a sack up front. And then when you get to their second-round pick and their fourth-round pick, Marco Wilson, he did well. He had a pass breakup and it was on Julio Jones, who... Maybe he isn't quite back to form, but a lot of the offense, it seemed, was very much a struggle for Ryan Tannehill. There was comeback routes he tried to throw. There was just not as much as far as for deep drops that he had or being able to try to get an extra step on Wilson deep. He did a good job with being able to use those arms as a pass breakup, being able to use the closing speed. But they also had Robert Alford out there. And Robert Alford, as a veteran, was able to help uh, provide that sense of stability where you didn't have to have Marco Wilson play every single snap in the game. You didn't have to have Marco Wilson necessarily be the guy who has to cover like a shifty slot receiver or then drop back into a safety role. You were able to have, by a lot of regards for that one, you were able to see the Cardinals be able to utilize a lot of their veteran help to help the rookies and put them in an area where they can succeed. Which is something we've wanted to have for the Arizona Cardinals for a long time. And it feels like this may be one of the draft classes that the coaching staff, maybe even the GM, are all on the same page along with their players. Yeah, one of the things with this game that was a bit unusual is they didn't call Buda Baker's name as much. He did have a viral, uh, I believe, pressure where he just essentially took advantage of a poorly balanced Taylor Luan and just used that upper body strength and just pancaked him, pushed him over. So you're talking about this tiny 5'9", 5'10", Buda Baker, you know, pushing over a left tackle. That just shows you how bad Taylor Luan's day was. But a lot of times you didn't end up hearing or seeing his name. The only other time that I think most people noticed him was when there was that pass breakup in which Isaiah Simmons dropping back into coverage, showing some of that strength it's showing some of that size, essentially just went up for it. And unfortunately, Randy Moss, his own teammate in Buddha Baker for the interception. That was about it. I think part of the thing is people may say, well, what happened to Buddha? Where is he? I think some of it is that Buddha is in a spot now at the Cardinals where they can allow him to be able to stay back in coverage and be able to provide some of that deep safety help along with Jalen Thompson that Marco Wilson isn't put on the island. They do clearly trust Byron Murphy to be able to be put and take that step as a corner, but I think that right now, as far as the coaching staff goes, there's very little to complain about with the defense. The only question, I think, at least, that's going to pop up will be when they play a more difficult offense. Are we going to see against the Rams the same type of performance in production? Will we be able to see J.J. Watt get more than just pressures, actually get a sack? How will their rotation look with Devon Kennard and Marcus Golden? Not to mention with Isaiah Simmons at times rushing the passer. It feels like that there's a lot to go around. And in that regard, I think it's a huge plus for the Arizona Cardinals. Now that they have the likes of Corey Peters back in there and their depth. And I do really got to say, the there's not too many things as far as for disappointments. I'll get into those at the end of this podcast here. I think the only real disappointments that we've had so far for the Arizona Cardinals is that that first quarter and how it started showed a bit more of that 2020 struggles that we had seen there was some issues as far as communication burning a timeout we also got to see you know a false start that happened from daryl daniels their third string tight end and we saw some of these avenues where kyler was pushed back into third and long and had to scramble bail the pocket to his right now that's where that all ended now let's talk about the offense because this is what people are looking at this year this is the focus for the arizona cardinals a lot of people underestimated this defense. I think the biggest one would be the um, football outsiders and their DVOA. They thought the Cardinals having a close to top 10 DVOA defense last year was unsustainable. You know, they had a really good season from Hassan Reddick despite Chandler Jones being out. You know, they end up kind of adding a few pieces at least to the puzzle, but I think they thought that they had just kind of overperformed a bit. And I think a lot of people see last year and recognize that was the floor for this Cardinals defense. This year, it may be the ceiling. Now, perhaps that changes in a year as far as when you look at how the defense is constructed. Uh, right now, I think the Cardinals, if you're talking about who they're going to have for on the roster next year, the only person who has a question about that right now, it's Chandler Jones. Everyone else is under contract, but save for Jordan Hicks. You've got Simmons, Collins will coming back with another year of experience, Marco Wilson another year of experience. You're hoping that he can stay healthy after his... Two ACLs may have made him um, go from more of a project to potentially a guy who people are looking at as a steal now as far as the cornerback position goes. And you're also having a lot of the other guys on the defensive line like J.J. Watt and even Marcus Golan had a two-year deal. The only piece that's left there is Chan. If the Cardinals can go out and have a top five defense this year, maybe even they finish number one in sacks instead of number three or four. That will be the only missing piece to potentially bring everyone back, which is very exciting, I should say, for most Cardinals fans, as that means you'll be able to take another year to just focus on being able to help Kyler Murray and add some offensive picks to grow along with him as he potentially goes and pursues this huge contract. Now let's talk about Kyler. The offseason addition I already mentioned about Rodney Hudson is making a huge impact with giving him time in the pocket. Some of that also has helped Kyler's de- uh his ability to read defenses, too. Hudson, apparently, not Murray, from what I had thought, was the guy who identified that there was going to be a cover zero blitz that took place right on the goal line from the Titans. And Kyler, what he did is he quickly hit DeAndre Hopkins on a slant run. In fact, he hit it so quick that the coverage was not there. They were expecting Hopkins to catch the ball, continue moving, make the tackle. They took a bad angle on Hopkins because Murray hit him so quickly in stride on reading that. That was thanks to Rodney Hudson being able to diagnose some of that for the young quarterback. That's something I think will help tremendously. That was something we also saw in 2019 with A.Q. Shipley being able to help for some of that, but it was still in this more air raid offense that Kyler was having to even teach to some of the players as to what the checks would be, what was the case. And so by adding this 32-year-old veteran, who still clearly is he's running downfield blocking guys on a Chase Edmonds screen, he's about like 20 yards downfield doing the blocking. That's something I think that we will end up finally being able to get to see a true look what Kyler Murray can look like through this line. We got to see that progress that was made. We also got to see the play in practice to Christian Kirk. He's getting pressured off the edge. There's times where he steps up, is able to deliver a bullet. There was two or three times where he delivered pressure. Uh, he delivered under pressure, a very accurate ball. There were two plays I think that stand out in particular, and this is where one of them is a negative and one is a positive. The reason why the negative play stands out of where he was targeting Demetrius Harris on um, what seemed like the Harris was moving downfield. Harris seemed like he held up a little bit in his route. Murray's moving a bit to the left, sees him, throws the ball, ends up throwing an interception right at Kevin Byard, who's been one of the better, uh, I should say at least center fielders in the NFL, guy who can get a lot of picks. He was right there, caught the ball, turned it over. It was a big play for the Tennessee defense up until they their kicker missed a field goal. That just shows you how awful of a day it was for Tennessee. From Murray's standpoint, it was just more of a late throw, a little bit off balance. It was a spot where you can say it's a learning lesson. But I think it stands out for two reasons for me. One, if that throw is being made, let's say that there's a slightly slower Zach Ertz, who knows better to be able to go back for the ball, who has better hands, be able to pluck it away. I think that may be a better target than (laughs) than people are thinking of. It looks like it's a dumb throw when you watch in hindsight, but on the actual tape, it's like, all right, You got one-on-one coverage. You got your pass-catching tight end on a safety. That's something that I think you probably want to try to take it. It's almost a 50-50 ball in that regard. And I think that does show to where the Cardinals and their depth of the position. I I do think that if you're going to be taking those shots, I would much rather have it be taken to the likes of either a guy with strong hands and Daryl Daniels or a guy in Max Williams who may not be the most athletic but has similar strong hands. And at least if you're going to be doing it, you won't be overthrowing Max Williams. He'll at least be making plays. Demetrius Harris is a guy who's been around as the tight end too for the chiefs for a while, but has never been able to really catch the ball or make great use of his hands. And as a result, I think that the Cardinals are probably going to be continuing to look at some of the free agent market. I could see it being a spot where maybe they adjust their offense, but Harris right now is their most athletic tight end. And it did seem like that was one of those plays that would have gone for a huge completion in the past to Dan Arnold, but did not this time around. Now, What's the other reason why that stood out? It's because it was the only mistake that Kyler Murray truly made. And that is a very impressive moment to get to when you're talking about a quarterback who a lot of people are doubting. A lot of people say, I just don't know how we feel about Kyler. Um, Who is he going to be? We'll see this year." I think that they're finally getting to see now in the NFL. Part of what we as Cardinals fans have known about Kyler Murray is that the situation and development is important. The expectations that were lauded on him to be the next Lamar Jackson or the next Patrick Mahomes were super difficult. We've even seen Lamar Jackson, without any wide receivers around him, save for Hollywood Brown, having um, the likes of, I believe it was, uh, his tight end, uh, this is going to drive me crazy, Uh, Mark Andrews. Seeing how Mark Andrews, at least, for some reason, is always able to make good catches, except for when it counts for one reason or another, it really does feel like Kyler is starting to come into his own not just as a star quarterback but as a superstar quarterback and that's due to a lot of the talent around him finally being in a good place Lamar Jackson's had some more issues with his line there's been issues he's had with not being able to have a solid running back that's been able to churn up ground now Tyson Williams (laughs) he's looked like he may be kind of the real deal but in that game against what was a bad Raiders defense you got to notice and just see it looked like there was something that was just lacking in that offense and when the pocket caved in at least for the most part you got to see that the Raiders ultimately felt like they had the game in hand, and even though it was kind of a wild finish, you can see the impact of how Lamar Jackson went from in his MVP year to suddenly a lot of questions and other issues at least. And I think a lot of that is not because teams have figured out Lamar. No, no, I think it's because we've seen that they've tried to add talent to their team. and Instead, he basically has, you know, Hollywood Brown, who's a small guy who's mostly a deep threat, being healthy finally, but struggling with some injuries in the preseason, and Sammy Watkins being his other number one. There has to be at least an amount of weapons that you can have. And we got to see with Christian Kirk finally being able to blossom in that role of not having to take on a cornerback one, not having to take on a cornerback two, but being able to make plays in the intermediate or deep zone out of the slot. A gorgeous catch and throw by him earlier to get the Cardinals into what was field goal range to go on to get a touchdown. He also then is able to nab a second touchdown, Uh, Later in the game, just on a fade route outside and on that over the shoulder catch. That was something I think that goes without saying because we were expecting that to be Christian Kirk all of last year. Now, perhaps some of this team and talent has adjusted because of adding Rondale Moore and even having that deep pass play to AJ Green for I think it was 15 or 20 yards. That was one of the pluses that I think that people can say. So then the question is all right, what's changed for the Cardinals and how we can expect? Well, I don't think that as much has changed a lot. I think the biggest areas that we've seen, as far as what were concerns for the Cardinals last year, which was their center position, which was their cornerback position, which was being able to have a pass rusher that was effective besides, you know, either Chandler Jones or Hassan Reddick, uh, especially at the defensive end and defensive tackle position, those have been addressed. And those needs at the receiving and offensive line have allowed Kyler Murray to take a step forward. Now, some negatives at least from the game. There weren't too many, but I think the biggest three that stand out, the first one has to be A.J. Green. A.J. Green was targeted six times, so he was second in targets for the cards. And yet he finished with only two catches for 25 yards. That was good enough for fifth. He wasn't even receiving more yards and those catches or even on those targets than the team's running back and Chase Edmonds. So that's one of the concerns I think you look at is the Cardinals may still need an outside wide receiver. Or maybe they have one and turns out his name is Christian Kirk. <laughs> you may need to start playing Rondale Moore a lot more in the slot. That would be a negative. Another negative injury-wise and based on the skepticism from Cliff Kingsbury is maybe not likely to play is going to be their right tackle Kelvin Beecham who, when we're talking about the team and their grades, he was probably the weakest as far as for some of the pass protection. Uh, Josh Jones let some guys I know get by. For a lot of where it comes to for that one, given the fact that he's starting out for the most part, and given the fact that it is Jeffrey Simmons you're talking about on the other side of the field, I think that's something to watch and monitor with time. It doesn't seem like um, the Kelvin Beecham is going to be out for a while. He said day-to-day, has a rib injury. But when he left, there was definitely at least a little bit of a approach where with Justin Murray on the outside, with Josh Jones on that side, you're not talking about having a longtime veteran starter. DJ Humphreys did fine on his part. And so I think that's one of the avenues of the Cardinals is if you're going to be talking about having to put a blocker on that right side, that may be a concern if Beecham misses a game uh, against the Vikings or maybe even he misses more than that. It's very difficult to have an offensive line stay super healthy all throughout the season with all of your starters. And the Cardinals have happened to luck into this due to the fact that Josh Jones essentially beat out Brian Winters for that starting job at right guard. Winters did get some snaps, and maybe we'll see what this new-look offensive line ends up being like when we get to this Vikings game upcoming. The last one, of course, with Matt Prater missing a field goal that was maybe not a chip shot, but you want to see someone make it in that 40-50 yard range. And while he missed it in what would have been a blow, it did hold back the Cardinals from hanging 40 points up. And I think that right now you can look at that and say, all right, doesn't really count, doesn't matter, we're good to go. I think the question at least is if he misses another couple of those and you suddenly start to say, all right, are we simply in Chandler Catanzaro or are we back in Zane Gonzalez territory um, where you're missing kicks at the end of the game? Or if you want to push it to a different level, you're talking about Phil Dawson and – Jay Feely, older kickers who started to miss a few down the stretch. That would be the concern when it comes to Prater. Now, I don't have those concerns. I think that Tennessee was a bit desperate to get a stop to try to get back in the game. I think that was part of where they put on maybe some extra pressure to try to flip the script. They are always a hard-fighting team under Mike Frabel. I think that may be one of the avenues. I think we'll watch over the next few weeks because Prader did hit pretty much everything in the preseason and looked like everything that bit of what could a, uh, a franchise kicker Maybe not to obviously a Justin Tucker level, but someone you can trust as a Cardinals player. Now, next, I am want to talk about what does the team's expectations for the rest of the season look like, as well as go over a little bit of the hot seat questions for when we come into that three piece of Cliff, Keim, and Vance Joseph. That'll be coming up here next on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. And we're back on the Revenge of the Birds podcast for the final segment of this uh, Thursday edition of the show. Again, uh, thanks again for your wait and patience in the delay this week as I uh, was battling at least allergies and a virus, uh, not COVID fortunately, but uh, did end up having some issues with my voice where wasn't really able to record until this Thursday, uh, the time I'm recording this. Uh, we'll be having as well a Friday show at noon. I'm hoping to be able to make that more of a weekly segment, uh, being able to preview that game, being able to have a live stream for you as well. That'll be located at ROTB Pod. Uh, let's finish and talk a bit about team expectations for the Cardinals, as well as a bit of a focus on you know, how much of this idea of a must-win season or a hot seat is there for Steve Kynan and Cliff Kingsbury. And I think the best way to start about all this is that we still have to take things on a weekly basis. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals, as we looked over the season, have had times where they've gotten off to a 4-0 start only to crumble miserably. There's other times that we've seen them essentially get off to what seems like it'd be an incredible nine and one start and then have health and other issues seem to derail it, such as 2014. I think that the biggest question that people have is is this Cardinals team a 10 win team? I think that the answer to that is that they should be. That's what people said going in. Uh, I was one who said I think that they could go eight and nine or nine and eight, depending on the rest of the division. But there's really Only one way to go from here as far as the Cardinals go is if you beat an opponent that you weren't supposed to beat, you need to make sure that you can take care of opponents that you're supposed to take care of. As we saw with the Arizona Cardinals in 2020, they could not take care of a team in the New England Patriots or a team in the Niners, a team in the Panthers, a team in the Lions, on and on and on. There was just enough teams that they lost to that they were not able to come up with the trip to the playoffs. I think that the way for the Cardinals to be able to get to the playoffs, ultimately, is, and this is probably the easiest way for them to be able to make a huge impact on this division, on this sport, on this entire Arizona fan base, is to try to go and win their division. Now, is that something that can be the expectation? No, it should not be, I think, for fans. And here's why. Because the Arizona Cardinals, after one game of beating a team in the Tennessee Titans, that is not a team that compares to the NFC West. They've got a great offense, but as far as defense goes, you're gonna have to talk about how in the division for the Arizona Cardinals, you're going to be facing a Niners division that has a solid pass rush, if not maybe great, uh, outside of Nick Bosa. You're gonna be facing a Seattle defense that's been retooled with better pass rushers. And you're also gonna be looking at, in my opinion, a team that is returning a top defense and has now added Matthew Stafford to probably alleviate some of the issues that Jared Goff had. Think of a few years ago, Jared Goff went against the Bengals defense and struggled massively in being able to essentially win. So what does that mean for the Cardinals this season? I think that you could say the expectation for the Cardinals may have shifted. I think instead of a 10 win team, when you have that dominant of an opening, when you're that efficient on offense, when you're that uh, attacking on defense and holding up pretty well in the back end, I think that you can say, hey, this is a 10-win team, wins one more game they're supposed to. I think the expectation should be an 11-win Cardinals team. Now, does that mean if they win 10 games that you go ahead and dismiss everybody? I don't think so. But I do think that you're going to be looking at saying, is this Cardinals team underwhelming or did they impress? Right now, there's a plus one in that category for impressing. Now, what that means, of course, is over, I said, the next four games, I should say the first four games of the season are super important. I think that is going to be a key because expectations have changed. Now the Cardinals are expected to beat the Vikings, are expected to be able to go on the road to a 10 a.m. game and beat the hapless Jacksonville Jaguars, who got essentially blown out by the Houston Texans. Maybe Houston's been a bit underrated with all of those veterans on one team being able to perform. But maybe it's a case of looking at week four, And that matchup against the Los Angeles Rams. If you're the Arizona Cardinals, and you can manage to win that game, then I think a lot of fans, you know, some fans say, "I'll trade that for losing one of the next two games." I think at that point, if you can go out and beat the Rams before and oh, suddenly, you're talking about a team that has a potential to be first place in their division after the first, you know, quarter, maybe first three point seven five, whatever it is now with the 17 game schedule, part of the season. And that expectation, I think, that is raised is going to put a spotlight in a lot of ways, I think, on Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury, but especially on Cliff Kingsbury. Because you can at least argue that kime has finally given him enough talent to be able to have a 10-win team or maybe an 11-win team, even in one of the toughest, if not the toughest, division in all of football. And as a result, I think there's going to be questions, maybe not about next year, but perhaps about the long-term longevity of Cliff Kingsbury. If he gets the Cardinals to, say, you know, third place in the division, a playoff berth, but it ends up being a 10-win team, you look at this going, gosh, I felt like the Cardinals, you know, they blew out Tennessee and blew out those next two teams and, you know, barely lost to the Rams. I I thought they were going to be, you know, an 11 or 12-win team. For them to, you know, kind of get to 10 wins and one of them, you know, is a a win in the very end that, you know, kind of wasn't really counted because this team lost their quarterback – that's one of the things I think that you don't want to have. You want to be able to have assurances that you can see adjustments, changes, and much more of this dynamic approach from Cliff Kingsbury. As it stands from Sunday, I don't think we've seen that from Cliff yet. I think we've seen that from some of the talent added. Granted, a lot of it has been pushed into a lot of chips for this year and maybe next year for the Cardinals. Um, I think Steve Kim hitting on a draft class has been big, but there's still a lot of the evidence that, in my opinion, the Cardinals probably were about... Nine win team last year, a team that should have made the playoffs. They had the talent to do it. They just didn't get there due to some of the coaching. And that's the thing I think that will reflect on the Cardinals this year. Because we've seen the offense for Cliff Kingsbury has not changed. His play calling, for the most part, looks pretty identical to 2020. The biggest difference, of course, is hey, now you've got Rondale Moore that you're throwing to. In that case, you can look even at the defensive side and say, hey, they've got JJ Watt. Chandler Jones is back. You finally got a guy who's got some burst opposite. You know, uh, your number one corner, Byron Murphy, stepping up into that role. You don't have the, you know, washing out Patrick Peterson, and maybe that's all it is. It's just a talent equation. Or that coaching, in some regards, is reserved for some of the greats. But I think that's what we need to think about with Cliff Kingsbury. Is you need to know by the end of the season, is he a good coach? The answer to that question may be yes, but does that mean that the Cardinals? can't do better and I think that's the core of the issue when it comes to Kaim and Cliff what we've talked about for a long time is it was gonna be always hard for Steve Keim to be able to do better than the likes of a Cliff Kingsbury head coach in part just because no one wanted to really take that job after the Steve Wilkes era now on the other side of the equation It's really going to be tough because you cannot simply go ahead and say, hey, we need to get a better coach, but the GM we've got in place, "Eh, it's good to get a contract extension, particularly when that head coach is the one who's responsible for saving that GM's job. I think that the Cardinals should take a look at the season, go one game at a time, and we get to the end of the season. Take a look at the short term, knowing that, hey, if the Cardinals are going to be going in this year-to-year type of Steve Kahn proposition, that seems fair. I think then that you look at the Cardinals should be rewarded if they can finish with a 10 plus win season, give a contract extension to Steve Kime, to Cliff Kingsbury. But I don't think it should be a long term. You don't wanna go ahead and renegotiate another four-year, five-year term deal. No, no, no. I, I think that you would extend through the 2024 season, see how it goes after 2022, and then if you get to 2023, you know, you've got one year left in the deal. The coaches don't have to worry as much that it's in the last year of their jobs. I think that's one of the benefits of this year is that Cliff is still under contract for next year. Steve Kime is under a option where he could at least return. But I think that you are going to have to look at this in the same manner that Steve Kime is traded. Giving Steve Kime up front with Steve Wilkes, kind of pairing him with a long-term deal we saw to great detriment when he essentially built a one-year team for Steve Wilkes and everything in that year went wrong. That's one of the areas I think, at least for the Cardinals, they have to be able to figure out what their long-term plan is going to be. Right now, it's hard to see that past 2022, but we're really hoping that this young talent in this draft class will be able to work out. All right, that'll be it here for the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Um, I will be looking forward to this upcoming game against the Vikings. I'll be previewing all of this with you on this upcoming Friday at noon. Uh, you can catch that at least with the StreamYard stream, be answering some questions on air, talking and previewing about the game. And probably getting a little bit into maybe some of the specifics about what we saw from kyler and some of the other people on offense again a very important game against a team the cardinals should match up well against they have the wide receivers against what seems to be a lackluster corner group they have the defensive line against what seems to be a difficult offensive line and a kirk cousins who's not immobile but really does not seem to strike fear into you as far as his rushing ability goes or even being able to dynamically escape the pocket and throw on the move and of course on the other side of the ball you're talking about the Cardinals wide receivers against you know, that fairly lackluster group of corners you've got the feeling that the Vikings may match up with that as well I think it'll be something more we can get into as we approach Sunday and game day thanks again for tuning in this has been the Revenge of the Nerds Podcast follow us on Twitter at ROTBpod. follow me on Twitter at 7 take care and we'll check you guys out later today at noon make sure you stick around podcast will be going up later that day as well. Take care.